You're listening to a sermon series by Grace City Church, a church plant in Green Square in Sydney. For more information about us, visit gracecity.com.au. G'day, it's great to be with you. Uh, We're going to jump into that passage in just a moment, but before we do, let me pray. Ask for God's blessing on our time. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you for your word, and we pray please quieten our hearts as we come to listen. Please soften our hearts that we might receive your word in faith. Uh, We pray, please speak to us now by your spirit. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I went for a run. Uh, That's something I kind of normally do. uh, And I always wear a a chest strap, a heart rate monitor. And so I was running along and my heart rate was sitting around 170, just coming to the end of my run. And then... I started to feel a bit of chest tightness, I started to feel quite flush and a little bit lightheaded. Look at my heart rate, 200. A few seconds later, 220. I stop, naturally, and I feel my heart pulse. Can't quite feel it. It's more of a fluttering. A few moments later, heart rate returns drops back down. Uh, I had what's called a heart arrhythmia. Uh, For all you doctors out there, yes, I have had it checked out and uh, everything that needs to happen is happening. I'm still standing. It's okay. (laughs) Now, while I don't want to pretend to be a doctor and claim to know why this happened, let me offer some reflections. At the time, I was recovering from a nasty virus and as we all know, when we're sick, what do we need? We need rest. And I knew that, but I still went for a run anyway, and I pushed my heart. I did that because I was frustrated. I was frustrated because I have been on and off sick for like the last three months, uh, including about with COVID, and I was so frustrated at having to rest. Um, I was frustrated that I had to stop I was frustrated, so I worked my body when I should have let it rest. Uh, See, confession time, I don't have a good relationship with rest. Uh, Sometimes it feels like having a rest is like being given a timeout from the game of life uh, while the game continues. Grace City, my hunch is that I'm not alone in having a bad relationship with rest. Uh, I suspect we go one of two ways. Either we get frustrated when we have to rest. And so maybe you feel like having to stop and rest feels like being given a timeout from the game of life. Or on the flip side, we get lazy. And instead of resting properly and engaging in things that rejuvenate, restore us, we get lazy. What do we do? We scroll Netflix for 20 minutes and then we choose something we don't want to watch and we watch four episodes whilst also doom scrolling our brains out on Facebook Instagram and TikTok. Frustration and laziness. And it's possible to do both at the same time. Frustrated that you have to stop and rest, but lazy when you should be resting. So, Grace City, how's your relationship with rest? In today's passage, we meet a group of people who also had a bad relationship with rest. Instead of frustration and laziness, though, they struggle with the third thing, legalism. I'm talking about the Pharisees. 
are the religious leaders of the Jews during the time of Jesus. And in this passage, we read about two stories that happened on the Sabbath, uh, the Jewish day of rest. And in each of these stories, Jesus and his disciples do something that stirs up enormous controversy about what it means to rest well on the Sabbath. And in today's passage, Jesus is going to teach us about the true meaning of rest. But my prayer today is that God wouldn't just teach us to have a better relationship with rest in our lives, but that we might also experience a deep sense of the true rest that is found only in Jesus. So how are we going to do that? Today, I want to explore three things, a law, a dilemma, and a promise. So I want to explore a law and ask, what actually is the Sabbath? And after that, I want to explore a dilemma. And the dilemma is this. Did Jesus and his disciples actually break the Sabbath law in these two stories we'll look at? And if we can answer that, I think that will set us up to see that there is a wonderful promise in this passage. A promise that will not only help us to have a better relationship with rest, but also to experience a deep sense of the rest that is found in Jesus. So first, a law. Let me, t- let me ask a question. What actually is the Sabbath? And at the most basic level, um, the word Sabbath is actually just a Hebrew word, Shabbat. And it means to stop, to rest. So when you close the laptop, when you hang up the tools, when you walk out of the office, you have Sabbathed. You have stopped from work. That's what the word means. But Sabbath isn't just a Hebrew word. Sabbath was also a law. Uh, It was a law that God's people Israel, they would work for six days in a week. And then on the seventh day, they would stop and they would rest. For them, that day started Friday, sunset, and then ended the next day, Saturday at sunset. That Sabbath law is actually number four of the Ten Commandments. So have a look at me. It's from Exodus chapter 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. Then it continues, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now, notice the law, uh, the law, the Sabbath law is actually grounded in God's act of creation, the act of making the heavens and the earth, which means that God has actually knit into the fabric of this world a pattern of work and rest, work and rest, work and rest. And that means we were actually made to rest. Um, Hear this, having to rest is not a result of the fall. God made us to rest. He rested. I mean, let me start by simply observing that every day we literally turn off. We literally have to turn off and sleep for at least average eight hours every single day. Your TV can just keep going indefinitely. You can't. 
That means about a third of your life will be spent sleeping, resting. There's not really anything you can do about that. I hear there are people out there who can run on four hours sleep a night. It's probably not you. It's definitely not me. But more than that, God has designed us to operate on a weekly pattern of work and rest. About once a week, we need to stop and rest. And sure, we can kind of get away with missing about a day off a week. We can miss that for a time, a few weeks, maybe a few months, but we can't do that in the long term. It's like getting three hours sleep a night for a week. It eventually catches up with us. So there's a general principle of work and rest that God has knit into the fabric of our world, our minds, our bodies. Work and rest, work and rest. That's true for everyone. Uh, That's not a law. That's just how God made us. But the Sabbath law was actually far more significant for ancient Israel than just a general principle. For ancient Israel... The Sabbath law was actually one of the distinguishing marks that separated them from the people around them. For them, keeping the Sabbath was actually a a question of identity. It is who they were. See, for us Christians um, in the Western world, uh, we don't often really understand what's quite at stake uh, when it comes to the Sabbath in first century Judaism. For them, the Sabbath was a very very big deal and there was one kind of person who cared about the sabbath more than anyone else the pharisees see the pharisees were actually a bunch of lawyers they were lawyers Um, now if you're here and you're a lawyer may the lord bless you and keep you make his face to shine upon you the pharisees they were lawyers Um, They were experts in and they were the enforcers of the Jewish law, of which the Sabbath was one of the most important. So that's the law. That's the first thing I said I wanted to do. But now let's come and look at these two stories uh, and we're going to explore a dilemma. And the dilemma is this. Did Jesus and his disciples break the Sabbath law? And as we'll see, the answer is, is both yes and no. And I reckon if we can wrap our heads around why it's both yes and no, I think that will unlock the meaning of the passage for us and ultimately set us up to see how Jesus is giving us a wonderful promise in this passage. Uh, just heads up, we'll spend a little bit more time on the first than the second. So what's going on in the first story in our passage? Uh, Verse 1 sets the scene for us. We're told that on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus was walking through some fields with his disciples. And as his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some grain. They began to pick some grain. And then what they'd do, they'd rub it in their hands to release the grain from the husk. And then they would eat the kernels. We're told in verse 2 that some of the Pharisees caught wind of this and so they confronted Jesus and they asked him a question. Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Now it's worth saying that the problem wasn't that the disciples were picking grain from somebody else's field. We might hear that and think that they were stealing. 
Uh, just during the week, the staff team were uh, debating whether it was okay to snack on some grapes when you're at Woolies or Coles, you know. You're walking through fruit and veg. Can you, can you take some grapes? Well, Deuteronomy 23 clears it all up, both when it comes to grapes and grain. Have a read. If you enter your neighbour's vineyard, you may eat all the grapes you want, but do not put any in your basket. If you enter your neighbour's grain field, you may pick kernels with your hands, but you must not put a sickle to their standing grain. So the problem wasn't that the disciples were plucking grain from somebody else's field. That was fine in and of itself. There it is. The problem was that they were doing it on the Sabbath. So the dilemma is, were they breaking the Sabbath law? And at one level, I think we do actually have to say yes. Yes, they were breaking the Sabbath law. Here's why. In just a moment, Jesus is going to give us an example of a time when King David did something that was clearly unlawful. And that example really only works if Jesus' disciples were also doing something that was unlawful. Um, If the disciples weren't breaking the Sabbath command, then why would Jesus tell a story about a time when David did break the law? So I think at one level we actually do have to say, yes, they did break the Sabbath law. But at another level, I think we ultimately have to say, no, they didn't break the law. And I think it all turns on what Jesus says in response to their question. Uh, He reminds them of a story about King David. Um, Have a look with me from verse 3. Jesus says, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. So Jesus is reminding these Pharisees of a story about King David. That story comes from 1 Samuel chapter 21. Now, uh, we've just finished a series on 1 Samuel called A King to Lead Us. Um, If you don't quite remember this particular story, um, Tim skipped it because there was so much to cover, knowing that we would cover it when we got to this passage. So what is the story? I'll give you a quick summary. In 1 Samuel 21, we meet David. And David is on the run from Saul. And he ends up going to a place called Nob. And at Nob, um, there was the tabernacle. So that was the temple-like tent. And that was there. So David goes down. He goes into there. And he finds one of the priests called Ahimelech. And he comes to Ahimelech and he says, Can I have some bread to feed me and my men? Unfortunately, Ahimelech tells David he has no common bread. He only has consecrated bread. Now, what's consecrated bread, you might ask? Well, inside that tabernacle, that that temple-like tent, there were 12 loaves of bread in two rows of six, and they sat on a golden table. And every Sabbath, that bread would be replaced by the priests. And then the week-old bread could be eaten by the priests. Now, if you ask me, week old bread doesn't sound like a great deal. Um, The other day, I threw yet another moldy loaf of bread in the bin. But in the Old Testament, there was quite a specific law that only the priests were allowed to eat that consecrated bread 
that week old bread. Uh, you can chase that up later. That's Leviticus 24, 5 to 9. And so when Ahimelech said, ah, I only have consecrated bread, he was essentially saying he only had bread that a priest could eat. That's not David and his men. So David assures Ahimelech that he and his men have kept themselves ceremonially clean. And Ahimelech gives them the bread. And David and his men eat it. They eat the bread reserved only for the priests. And that's significant because in doing so, David and his men clearly did something that was unlawful. That's exactly what Jesus says in verse 4 of our passage. They broke the law. But why does Jesus tell them this story? What's the point of the story? Well, the interesting thing is that everyone, both Jesus and the Pharisees, everyone assumed that David did the right thing. They assumed that it wasn't sinful for them to eat the bread. Otherwise, Jesus would just be proving that his disciples had sinned. So how is it that David could break the law and yet do the right thing? It all centers on the fact that David and his men were hungry. That's what Jesus tells us in verse 3. You can see it there. Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? Now, hunger here doesn't mean just being a little bit peckish for some cheeky drive-through on the way through Nob. The word, <laughs> the word means <laughs> good. Um, the word means to feel the pangs of hunger. In other words, they were starving. And I think Jesus is making the point that their hunger overruled their need to obey the command about only priests eating the consecrated bread. And I think that's actually exactly what's going on with Jesus' disciples plucking grain on the Sabbath. Because just like David and his men, I think the disciples of Jesus were also hungry and in need. Now, you might say, hang on. It doesn't say that they were hungry and in need. Now, when I first read the passage, I just imagined them kind of wandering through the fields and just plucking grains um, for a cheeky snack or something on the way. But after thinking about it more, I don't think that's actually what's going on. I think Jesus led them through that field because they were hungry. They were in need. How so? Well, first... Because in Matthew's version of the story, he actually says they were hungry and in need. Huh, helpful. Um, there's also another reason. There was a law in Israel that said a farmer shouldn't harvest all the grain in his field, but he should leave some around the edges for the poor. Uh, that's Leviticus 22:23. You might remember the story of Ruth and how she gleaned the fields of Boaz. I take it that that's what the disciples were doing here. And so just like David and his men were in need, so too the disciples of Jesus were in need. And their hunger overruled the need to obey the Sabbath in this case. But here's the question. Here's the question. Why is it that their hunger could overrule the need to obey the Sabbath? Um, how is it that something can override a law? Put your lawyer caps on for a moment. Just think with me. It's entirely possible in both ancient and modern life to come across a situation 
where circumstances mean that it's appropriate for certain laws to be overridden. You need to break a law because of a certain situation in front of you. Uh, I'm sure some of the lawyers amongst us could come up with some examples. Um, Self-defence might be one kind of example. But here's the important thing. While we might have to make a snap decision about what we're going to do, it's actually not up to us to decide what is ultimately the right decision and whether it was legitimate for a law to be overridden. It's not up to us. It's up to a judge. It's up to a legal system. In order for one law to override another, what we need is somebody to rule over the law. And that is what Ahimelech the priest had in King David. I don't think it's insignificant that it was King David who went into the house of God on behalf of his people. Um, Can you imagine if one of David's men went in and asked for the bread? No way, buddy. You can't have the consecrated bread. It mattered that it was King David. Not as somebody to whom the rules didn't apply. You know, it wasn't a matter of I'm the king and so I can do whatever I want. No, um, David came as somebody who could offer an authoritative word on the law. Why? Because he was the king. Now, if you're nitpicking, it's true. David wasn't officially king at that point, but he had been anointed God's chosen king, which I think was the thing that really mattered. And if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 17, what you'll see is that the king was to be the chief expert on the law in Israel. That was the king's job. The king was meant to be the one who could show the people how the law fits together. That is why it wasn't wrong for Ahimelech to give David the consecrated bread. Because it was the king himself, King David, who could show him how the law fits together and why their need for food overruled the commands about the consecrated bread. But how does that play out for the disciples? Listen to what Jesus says in verse 5. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. He's talking about himself. And when Jesus says this, he is not saying, I'm the Lord and so the rules don't apply to me and the people with me. No, he's saying, I am the one who designed and gave you the Sabbath. I'm the one who not only studies the law like King David, who doesn't just know it back to front, inside out. I am the Lord who wrote the law. And gave it to you. Jesus isn't just a law interpreter. He is the law giver. So, was it wrong for the disciples of Jesus to pluck and husk the grain on the Sabbath? At one level, we have to say yes. They did break the Sabbath law. But at another level, at a deeper level, we have to say no. Because just like David and his men, the disciples were in need and their need for food overruled the need to obey the Sabbath in this particular case. But the only reason why they could do that is because they had with them the Lord of the Sabbath who could interpret the law, show them how it fits together and why some things override other things. So that's the dilemma 
And in just a moment, I want to show you a wonderful promise in this passage. But before we do that, I want to look briefly at the second story. Because I think it's in this second story that Jesus explains why their need for food overruled the need to obey the Sabbath. So what's the second story? Well, we're told that it was another Sabbath. And on this Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. That's something we've seen him do before. But sitting here in that synagogue was a man with a shriveled hand. Now, having a shriveled hand uh, would have been enormously debilitating in the first century. I mean, debilitating in any century. Uh, But Galilee, where they were, that was a working class area. And so losing your right hand would have meant the loss of an ability to work. Uh, It would have meant poverty and social ostracism. But what we're told in verse 7 is that the Pharisees, they were watching Jesus closely to see if, that he, see if he would heal this man. They were watching him like a hawk. Why? Because they wanted a reason to accuse Jesus of breaking the law. And according to the Pharisees, Jesus would be breaking the Sabbath if he healed this man. Now Jesus knows all this, and so he asks the man to get up in front of everyone. And then in verse 9, I think we find the big thing going on in this second story. Let's read it together. Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? Now, the answer should be obvious, but the Pharisees are caught. They can't say either. Either they say it's lawful to do good, in which case Jesus heals this man and proves them wrong, or they say it's lawful to do evil, in which case they just prove their own sinfulness. And notice as well that the refusal to do good is itself evil. Good omitted is evil committed. But I think in this verse, Jesus is giving us an insight into what the Sabbath And actually, the entire law is all about. The law was given to teach us what it means to do good. Elsewhere, Jesus will summarize the whole law in two commands. Love God, love others. I think this is what Paul means when he says the entire law is fulfilled in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. See, the Old Testament It is full of commands and laws. And each of these commands and laws, they are like bricks. Like bricks. But what we need to know is how to put the bricks together to form a house. What we need to know is the shape of the building. Where which bricks go where and why some go on top of others. And in this verse, Jesus is teaching us that the shape of that building is. Love, to do good, not evil. Which means that when you put the law together properly, you get love. And all of that was designed by the Lord of the Sabbath, the architect, Jesus. That's why Ahimelech could give the bread to David, because in doing so, he did good. To those who were in need. It was loving to give them the bread. Even if it was the consecrated bread. And when Jesus teaches us that God requires doing good on the Sabbath. 
He's not actually just teaching us about when the Sabbath rules apply and when they don't apply. He's actually teaching us what the Sabbath is all about. It's about rest, restoration and healing to do good. And healing this man with the withered hand is actually the most lawful, the most appropriate thing to do on the Sabbath. Because in doing so, he brings this man restoration and healing, which is what the Sabbath is all about. But with the rest of our time together, there is a little detail that I want to draw your attention to. And it's here that we find the third thing I want us to explore today. Um, Here's where we find a wonderful promise. So what is that little detail? It's in verse 9. Did you notice when Jesus asked the Pharisees whether it was lawful to save a life or to destroy it? And I think that detail is there to give us a hint that there's actually more at stake when it comes to the Sabbath than just a day off. I say that because this reference to saving somebody's life or killing them, destroying their life... It kind of comes out of nowhere. Imagine you're there. You're one of the Pharisees and you hear Jesus saying, what's lawful? To save somebody's life or to kill them? What would you be thinking? Whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) Jesus, who said anything about killing the poor guy? But here's the thing. I don't think Jesus was talking about that man when he talked about destroying a life. Why? Because Jesus knows that if he heals this man on the Sabbath, he will stir up such fierce antagonism that it will ultimately result in his death. If he heals this man, they will want to kill him. If he heals this man, they will kill him. That's exactly what happens. Have a look with me what happens after Jesus heals this man. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, when it says they were furious, that doesn't just mean they were angry. The word there means an irrational anger, a hysteria. They were manic, and they were talking about what they might do to Jesus. If you actually go to uh, Matthew's Gospel or Mark's Gospel, both of them identify this as the moment when the Pharisees decided they would kill him. The only question was, how? But let me ask you this. Why would Jesus heal this man if he knew it would result in his death? Well, let me sharpen the question. Why would he heal him on the Sabbath? If Jesus had just waited one more day, then the Pharisees wouldn't have wanted to kill him. At least not yet. So why was Jesus so determined to heal this man on the Sabbath? What if this man's withered hand was just one example of a deep restlessness in our world? A restlessness that can't be healed with just some sleep and a day off. Uh, The Bible calls this problem sin. It pervades our bodies. Uh, Our bodies are restless. Sick. Do you long for restoration? It also pervades our mind. Do you long for your mind to have rest? It pervades our soul. 
Do you long to have your soul cleansed? Our world has shriveled up. It is longing for rest. It's groaning. It's longing for a Sabbath rest. Jesus knows that this kind of Sabbath can only be brought about through his death. Do you remember which day Jesus was in the tomb? He died on Friday at noon. Listen to what happened after Jesus died on that Friday. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Friends, when Jesus healed this man's hand, he embraced the destruction of his own life. He would spend a Sabbath lying in a tomb to bring restoration to our world. But when the women, they came on the Sunday after the Sabbath had ended, but the tomb was empty. That is the day the new creation started. That is the day Jesus was raised with a glorious, a transformed, a restored body. And that is the rest that we look forward to when we will become like him. A new heavens, a new earth, when we will finally and fully experience the Sabbath rest that we were made for. So Grace City, why did Jesus have to heal this man on the Sabbath? Why couldn't he wait a moment longer? Because when he healed this man's hand, he wasn't healing just one man's hand. He was setting in motion the destruction of his own life so that you and I might experience a true and a lasting Sabbath rest. At Grace City, that is the great promise in this passage. It's a promise that if you long for the kind of rest that you can't get from some sleep and a day off, then you will find it in Jesus. So just as we close, what should we do with all this? Let me suggest three things. Uh, faith, hope, love. Faith. See, we are not under the Old Testament law. That law was given to Israel to show them what it would look like for them to do good in their own context and culture. We are not under that law. No amount of law-keeping, no do-gooding can save you. You don't need a law, you need a Lord. You don't just need another Sabbath law, you need the Lord of the Sabbath. And the Bible says that there is only one right response to the Lord of the Sabbath. Faith. Faith. So if you want to experience the true rest that Jesus won by his death, then put your faith in him. Trust him. If you haven't done that before, why don't you do it today? First response, faith. Second, hope. Because this life will always be marked by restlessness. Our minds, our bodies, our souls will never arrive at a place of rest until our Heavenly Father remakes the heavens and the earth. So put your hope in that day, the great day of Sabbath. Don't put your trust in empty knockoffs. 
that this world has to offer. There are lots of things in this world that promise rest and restoration. Don't trust them. They won't deliver you. Uh, You probably know where you're tempted to go. Don't. Put your hope in that great day of rest. Faith, hope, the last is love. See, we aren't under the Old Testament Sabbath law. But we do need rest. We need to recognize that God actually has made us to operate on a rhythm of work and rest. Daily, weekly, and in different seasons. That is how God made us. So how should we think about our day off, our rest, our Sabbath? Jesus teaches us that the purpose of our rest is to do good. Grace City, use your rest to love others, to do them good. The great lesson from the Lord of the Sabbath is that your rest is and is meant to be about love. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. Father, we thank and we praise you that he would spend a Sabbath lying in a tomb so that we might find true rest in him. Father, give us faith to trust him. Fill us with hope for that great renewal that you will bring and teach us to love while we wait. Amen.